Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us an interesting man who happens to know a ton of stuff about REITs. And I'm so excited to talk to him because I don't know anything about REITs. Furthermore, I've been on vacation for two and a half weeks. So I'm, I'm like, Rusty, this is the first podcast I've done in three weeks. So everybody bear with me. We have with us today the managing director of Armada ETF Advisors. He is David Auerbach. David, welcome to Street Smart Success. Roger, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. You got it. Man, we have had one heck of a schmooze before hitting the record. And probably what I love about this process more than anything is the connections you make with people that you just have no idea. Uh, waxing about summer camp experiences. Well, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather talk about summer camp and fish than talk about REITs, to be honest, but that's okay. And let's clarify for the audience, P-F-I-S-H. P-H. Again, I'm going to use the excuse that I've been on vacation in a foreign country for the last three weeks for that, for that, uh, that mistake, but not F-I-S-H for sure. You know, um, our people are not known for being great fishermen, but, you know, there's some exceptions to that. <laughs> you know, one, one of the shortest books ever written was Great Jewish Whalers of New England. Okay. Like <laughs> That's that. my attempt at humor. I like anyway. that. Anyway. <laughs> I'm going to use that one. That's a good one. <laughs> anyway, I'm humoring myself. Well, tell me this. Uh, we did cover prior to me hitting record that you are born and raised in Dallas. So we already spoiled that. But, you know, prior to getting into the REIT business, give me, give me the David Auerbach bio, man. Where, where, where do you hail from? What did you do? How did you wind up where you are? Sure. Uh, so actually it's a very unique story. I'm born and raised in Dallas, went to the University of Texas at Austin. I'd always known I was going to be on Wall Street. I grew up at a very young age, five, six years old. Uh, my father was a CPA and used to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal. And he handed me the paper one day when I was a kid. And I started looking and I got fascinated by the stock tables and looking at all the numbers inside the journal. And I, my eyes got drawn to this one particular stock whose number just, you know, was so much larger than the others. And it wound up being Berkshire Hathaway. And so from a very young age, I learned about Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. And I'm like, dude, I want to be the next Warren Buffett. That's going to be me. And I knew, like I said, at six years old, seven years old, that I was going to be on Wall Street. You know, kids are watching cartoons before school and I'm watching CNN money just to see the, you know, see the people in the crowd doing hand signals and learning about quotes and companies that were out there. So I went to University of Texas. Uh, I was a finance major. I knew what I was going to do. Graduated. Uh, got an internship my uh, graduating year where um, my father's partner was a CPA slash RIA hybrid advisor. Uh, he invited me to come on board, uh, got my licenses with him. And, uh, you know, the day I get my licenses, it's um, late August in 1999. I'm excited. I'm ready to hit the ground running. And I get this meeting with the prospect that wants to have lunch with me. And I go and tell him, hey, I'm going to go have lunch with this guy tomorrow. And the guy's like, no, you're not. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, if you want to network, if you want to grow a book of business, that's going to be on your time, not on my time. And I'm like, 
I don't understand. Like if I grow my book, that benefits you, that benefits this company. Why wouldn't you want me going out and having lunch with this guy? He's like, look, my rules, my shop, my time. You want to build a book of business, that's on your time. And I said to him at the, on the spot, I go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I was always taught networking is a 24-7 gig and you're wrong. Well, P.S., I literally got fired the next day because I told my boss that he was wrong. <clears throat> so when um, that went down, I was on what we call in, this, in our business on the beach for a couple of weeks. And uh, we used to have classified ads in the daily paper that would have a job section. And I remember looking at the classifieds. And again, this was in uh, the first couple of days of uh, being let go. And in the paper, it was like literally a two-line blurb. You know, have Series 763 license, call this number. That's all it said. Well, I had a Series 7 and 63, and I called the number, and I got invited in for an interview. And it wound up being uh, a trader on the preeminent REIT research trading desk in the country from a firm that was called Green Street Advisors. They were based in Newport Beach, California, but their trading desk happened to be set up in Dallas, Texas. And after responding to a two-line ad, and on my first day, my boss tells me, she's like, you know, David, kids your age don't get the opportunity that you're being given right now. And I was a little offended at the time. I'm like, how dare you call me a kid? Like, what do you know? Because I mean, come on, I'm 22, 23. I know everything. I'm ready to take over the world. And looking back on it, I mean, I'm still learning. It was an amazing opportunity. And my partner, and we'll get into it, but my partner is a young guy. He was the head of sales. He's like, dude, I, you know, I'm sorry to ruin your first day, but I'm going to tell you now, keep your resume fresh, man. Who cares about REITs? REITs are going to be gone within five years. We're all going to be looking for jobs. Like, don't get too comfortable. Well, here we are, you know, 23, 24 years later. And I always like to remind him, how's that five-year clock looking? You're only off by about 20 years plus right now. Um, you sure about that? And he laughs, we laugh about it. But I've literally gotten to witness the entire REIT industry grow up and we'll get into it. But we're talking about office buildings, apartment properties, industrial properties, malls, ship strip centers, the list goes on and on. And you know, to to learn about this industry and watch all these new sectors come into formation and, you know, watch the entire industry literally explode. Uh, it's been really cool to sit back and just kind of watch it all unfold. So why did your partner say that at that time that, hey, man, keep your resume fresh, REITs will be gone in five years? What, why, why did he say that? You know, you know it's funny because really when it, REITs are boring, REITs are just a tax structure. It's a, it's a tax structure income pass through is what I call it. REITs are, you know, dividend vehicles. And I think, we, especially when you look back in 2000, what was very popular? Remember Internet Heyday, Pets.com, WorldCom, Enron, all these stocks that were so high flying, you know, really in the news every single day. Who cared about boring old real estate? And so I think he just kind of had, and again, a lot of people have that mentality of, you know, we focus on what I call the left side of the portfolio, that 5 to 15% of the portfolio that really nobody focuses on when everybody's talking about, I guess for us today in these terms would be, you know, First Republic Bank, not to hit close home to home for you right now, or um, Silicon Valley Bank, or Sam Bankman Freed, or ARK ETFs, or Bitcoin, you know, the stuff that's generating these headlines today. You know, the only thing you hear about REITs and real estate today is the collapse of the office building. Uh, the collapse of the CMBS market because of office loans and defaults. And we'll get more into that. But, you know, there are some real shining stars in the REIT sector that are not being covered by Bloomberg and CNBC and your favorite business news channel or publication 
on a daily basis. That's my job to focus on that. So are you saying, you know, it's, I'm so glad, look, we're having the conversation. I am so oriented towards real estate. This is a real estate podcast, so you might, that might stand to reason, but I've never really, it might not even be a rational reason. It's just my orientation. I guess I know too many people that have done too well in real estate over the years and I could feel it. I could touch it. I'm interested in, it's not even rational. Those are just, that's just my orientation. And so, and I'm not one of these people that says, oh, the stock market is, you know, the real estate's better than the stock market. I'm not, I think that's stupid. I mean, it, it, it's not binary, whatever. Everything has its place. But I didn't know, like what you just said is brand new to me. I, I, I've never seen REITs as boring. It's just something I didn't know anything about more than that. So it's so interesting for you to even say that. And when you say it's no one focuses on, is it because it's, specifically because of the tax structure, the read, or because it's real estate? Like, what is it that makes it boring? And Well, I, w- I want to cover on a few points there. Because again, when we talk about real estate, you've mentioned something because I use it in every single one of my conversations, invest with your eyes. So when you look at a REIT-owned property, let's use a shopping center, that's at the intersection of Maine and Maine, as I like to call it. Is the parking lot full? Is the grocery store crowded? When you drive by it at night, is it well lit? Is the main sign missing a letter or is it, you know, very modern? Like, you know, really you can get a lot of impression about the company if you look at a property itself. And then when you, when you, when the, when the hamster wheel starts spinning, okay, the intersection of Maine and Maine, this property is owned by Bricksmore. Wow. This is a beautiful property. What else does Bricksmore own? And you go on their website and you see that they own this other property that happens to be a couple of miles away from you, but you know that property very well. Or let me pose another question to you. Okay, so you're in uh, San Francisco, West Coast. Have you been to uh, a Pete's recently or a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts for a cup of coffee? Yeah, like like uh, I, I've been to both Pete's and Starbucks in the last two days. Perfect. Have you gone to CVS or Walgreens recently and picked up a prescription or anything? In the last two days. And I'll go back to that example. Have you gone to Bach Groceries recently? My wife does that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the answer is you're interacting with REIT-owned properties every single day of your life. You can't go from point A to point B without interacting with most likely a REIT-owned property. And the perfect thing about it is that, think about it, Starbucks leases that space from a net lease REIT. That rent that Starbucks pays that company goes into your pocket in the form of dividends. So that rental income is passed through to shareholders in the form of dividends. That's that's the cool thing about the REIT structure. 90% or more of the net taxable income that is generated by the company is passed through to shareholders in the form of dividends. And so when, when you ask about why is it boring, who wants to focus on dividends. You know, I'm 25. I want to focus on my next 50 years of income earning. And oh my gosh, there's so much money to be making in Bitcoin and all this other stuff that's out there. Whereas why REITs are boring, why it's such a good thing focusing on that left side 5 to 15%. There's a great chart on, on NAREIT, the National Association of Real Estate Investment Trusts. And anybody that's listening or watching this, I highly recommend go to REIT.com, R-E-I-T.com, because it's a great education portal. And one of the things that you'll find on the website is they have what they call a glide path chart. And the glide path chart is basically saying to you, the further away you are from retirement, if you're 50 years away from retirement, start buying REITs today. And the reason being, 
the longer that you're able to earn that dividend income over the next 40 or 50 years, if you reinvest dividends in these companies, or you just continue to earn, let's say a hypothetical, a 5% average to annual dividend on these companies, think about how how much money you're going to accumulate over 50 years just from dividends. From a very broad example, the stock price is trading at $20 a share, a company pays an annual dividend of $2 a share, you will make back the cost of that stock price in 10 years alone just on dividend income. That's not counting any upside appreciation in the stock price whatsoever. And so that's why they, why you think about when you get towards retirement, why your investment philosophy switches from more risk to conservative, because then you're focused on those income producing investments like REITs and bonds and commodities and utilities. Those, those sectors that are going to pay more income than you would get from other Wall Street sectors. Why does somebody buy a REIT as opposed to why? This is a rhetorical question, but I'll ask it anyway, at least this part of the question, than just going to buy a Starbucks in Skokie, uh, Illinois, or Newport Beach himself, or invest in in a syndication that's doing the same thing. Why does somebody buy a REIT? It's a great question, and I can pretty much answer it very simply. What are your cash needs, let's say? If you lock up $2 million in that syndicate investment for the next 5, 10 years, or like in some of these private REIT vehicles that are out there, what happens if something happens in your uh, in your life and you need access to that capital? It's not so easy to call up your partners in the Starbucks GPLP venture and say, hey, I need to cash out. Who's going to cash me out? When can I get out? Same thing with the private REIT situation. You have to get your money out. You have to submit a redemption request and you may or may not get filled. Publicly traded REITs, they trade like on Wall Street. There's a bid-ask spread. You know what the market is. You know how you can get in. You know how you can get out. And it's very liquid. It's one of the benefits of the publicly traded REITs is the fact of that liquidity aspect of it, plus the transparency. Because again, these are publicly traded companies. They publish quarterly earnings reports, host quarterly earnings conference calls. They're very transparent in their property transactions. So you know what is happening that's out there. And so I think to answer your question, it really depends on what your risk profile and frankly, your capital situation is. If you are, you know, again, if you're an ultra high net worth investor, if you've got $100 million in the bank, please call me. I'd like to talk to you. But in all (laughs) seriousness, if you've got $100 million in the bank and you've got $2 million tied up in a Starbucks venture, you're not losing sleep at night. But if you've got $2 million lined up, $2 million in the bank and you've got $250,000 locked up in one of these ventures, that's a different conversation. And so I, I just think it depends on what your liquidity needs are would determine potentially what the best investment uh, scape would be for you. Okay. So uh, two questions. First is, why don't I go buy, uh, it doesn't matter, Brookfield's a public company, correct? Okay, Blackstone is certainly a public company, uh, et cetera. Why do I buy a REIT versus not buying the company directly? Well, see, that's that's the million-dollar question these days. And that's something that you, you are thinking like a sovereign wealth fund. You're thinking like the government of Singapore or Canada Pension Plan or Ontario Teachers or one of these big plans that are out there. Because they're saying the same thing right now. Why should I go and buy this property in downtown Los Angeles when I can just buy the company on the open market and buy their stock, as I say? So, you know, Brookfield's a very tough example. I don't have to tell you what's happening in, let's say, downtown Los Angeles right now. 
There's an article that hit in the Wall Street Journal today talking about Brookfield's LA, downtown LA portfolio kind of being in distress. They're going to have some possible loan defaults on some of their office in downtown LA. You know, and Brookfield's a very complicated entity. If you know about Brookfield, it's more than just commercial real estate ownership. They own direct. They have a fund business. They're also involved in several other ventures, infrastructure. I mean, Brookfield's a very complicated network of companies. I'm not knocking it. But again, for any investor, it doesn't matter if you invest in Microsoft, Apple, Intel, Tesla, or one of my REITs, for any investor, you need to know what's under the hood of the car. Do your own due diligence. Do your own research. Go to the company websites. Pull down their most recent investor presentation, whatever it is. You need to understand what it is that drives that engine down the road. You know, for Brookfield, the engine is driven by multiple business models. Same thing for Blackstone. But like, you know, you see this, I have this ticker up here, House, H-A-U-S. We run a residential read ETF. The reason why I mention that is, let's look at one of my constituents. Let's say uh, Avalon Bay. They own apartments up and down the, up and then the coast and into the Sun Belt. Okay. Why do I mention Avalon Bay? Well, what's driving Avalon Bay's car down the road? It's the underlying tenant that's paying the landlord that monthly rent, right? So I know that Avalon's success is based off of the rent that they're capturing from the tenant. Uh, let's use Agree Realty. The ticker is ADC. They're at NetLease Street. What's driving Agree's earnings? Well, it's the McDonald's. It's the Burger King. It's the, it's the quick service fast food restaurant. It's the gas station. It's the Starbucks. It's the CBS. Again, all of that rent that gets paid, we know, they tell you, here's what percentage of rent all of these guys make up to our bottom line. So you can tell what are the strong tenants, what are the weak tenants. Like a great comment when we're going through earnings season, whether it's net lease, whether it's retail, whether it's mall, all the analysts will get on and ask every single CEO the same question. What company is on your watch list right now? Who do we need to be keeping an eye on? Who's on your watch list? Like let's say Bed Bath. Is Bed Bath on everybody's watch list right now at store closures? Well, what's my percentage exposure in Bed Bath? Where am I exposed to Bed Bath? And more importantly, am I going to be able to release that space? And so it's really important to understand what's under the hood of the car, what's driving that company's earnings. Like if you own New York office right now, like SL Green, what is driving SL Green's earnings to the bottom line? Because if I told you that I want you to buy New York office right now, I would get two responses, most likely from a typical investor. Number one, the first investor would be like, what are you, crazy? But the second guy's like, wow, that kind of is a risky play, but I don't mind that risk because, you know, if I told to you, and I use this example very frequently, but if I told you to buy American Airlines on September 17th, 2001, the, the day the market reopened after 9-11, you would have told me I was crazy. And yet those people that don't mind taking on a little bit of pain, knowing that there's some risk out there, those folks that bought American Airlines for sub $2 a share, for some of these office REITs for, you know, again, New York office REITs at the time. Fast forward a few years later and look at where American Airlines and where some of those office guys were trading. And those that were willing to accept a little bit of risk came out on the other side, really kind of smelling like roses because they got paid for their long-term effort, plus the dividends and all that other stuff that we've been talking about. So it really kind of depends on your risk profile. So a big part of the value, uh, David, that you guys provide in terms of a, a fund, a fund model of REITs is that you're doing due diligence that I don't have the time and equally the expertise to vet on my own. And so you're, I, I'm mitigating some risk because, you know, I, I'm investing in expertise I don't have. 
I'm is looking that- for my selling hat. I can't find my selling hat to put it on for you. Very yeah. simple. You, you pretty much nailed it. Because like when I talk about these conversations, I always refer to what I call grandma and grandpa who live in the villages down in Florida. You know what the villages is? Yeah, it's like, that's like the biggest, it's like near Orlando, right? It's like- The largest like, retirement community in the world, basically. It's just yeah. a city of retirees. And the reason I use that particular example is grandma and grandpa doesn't know what's happening in Albuquerque's apartment market right now. Grandma and grandpa couldn't tell you the first thing about what's happening in Cleveland's apartment market right now. But with us at Armada, see, we have a team of uh, several executives, very well-known REIT executives. And combined, we have about 150 years of experience in the REIT industry. I've got a retired REIT C- a semi-retired REIT CEO, a very well-respected analyst, and guys that uh, manage our portfolio that manage billions of dollars in the REIT industry on behalf of institutional investors. Why I mentioned this particular example is let's use that Avalon Bay example from before. Avalon announces quarterly results. So I'm going to go through a couple of... Di- I say picture a square in your head and we're going to go through the four corners of the square. So in the top corner, I would go to our CEO, the, the CEO that's on our advisory board. Uh, Chris, you were the CEO of one of these REITs. You know how to kind of hide the bad news and highlight the good news. Where, where are they hiding here? Where's the good news? Where's the bad news? And more importantly, how do grandma and grandpa benefit from your wisdom in the industry? Okay, analyst, you covered this company for many years, meaning somewhere on your computer, you still have the working model for this company. Let's take their earnings results. Let's put it through the model. You know where they hide the bad news. You know where they highlight the good news. How can grandma and grandpa benefit from your wisdom? Hey, PMs. You guys got this company off the ground many years ago. You covered this company. You know what makes it a buy for you guys or what makes it a sell. How do you interpret this earnings report, again, for the benefit of grandma and grandpa? David, you know everybody in the industry. You know all the clients. What's the scuttlebutt? What's the street saying? What's the output? At the end of the day, we can generate an output of knowledge, wisdom, experience, and looking at the results and put together a portfolio that benefits grandma and grandpa, the key is two facts. Number one, we're building the portfolio off of where people are moving across the country. And because the housing market is crazy, go try to buy a house in California right now. You know, which of these property types benefit from that relocation? When I'm talking REITs for us in residential, we're talking really four, kind of four and a half sectors. It's apartments, which are both sunbelt inside the middle of the country and then the coasts. It's single-family rentals, it's manufactured housing properties, and it's senior housing properties, all owned by publicly traded REITs. So for us, we don't own the physical property. We own the companies that own the property. Our constituents are publicly traded. So our ETF stock price is dictated by our 25 underlying constituents' stock price performance, if that makes sense. It makes total sense. You had referenced earlier public versus private, and is the is there a different? If is there another key differentiator other than liquidity? Because you said that, like with private, you could redeem, but that might be more complicated. Maybe maybe you can't redeem what you want to redeem right now. Is that the key differentiator, or are there others between public and private REITs? There's definitely other differentiators. The, the key piece of this is valuation. With REITs, we constantly know where the market is at. The companies tell you what properties are worth or you know what the transaction market is worth. 
In the private market, you're left to the mercy of the company to tell you what things are worth. And in the private market, properties are appraised about once a year. And so for some of these guys that are out there right now telling you, hey, our properties are worth X, they could be using a valuation that came in September of last year. Right. Or in June of last year, right when the interest rate hike started. And what we're seeing now is that the private guys are coming out and saying that their properties are trading, let's say, call it premiums to net asset value, while the public guys are all out there saying, look, our stuff is trading at a massive discount to net asset value. And what kind of spurred a lot of this uh, market in the private turmoil is that some overseas investors are seeing better opportunities in the public markets than what they're seeing in the private markets right now. I just got back from a conference in New York a couple of weeks ago. There was a couple of big prominent buy-side executives speaking on a panel. And these folks are talking about starting to tiptoe back into some of these troubled sectors that are out there. And so, you know, office has been long out of favor. Hotels is another good example of a sector that's been really troubled. But in the same breath, look how much we've come back. Look how much the you know Las Vegas Strip has roared back to life post COVID. You know one of the most successful sectors during all of COVID happened to be the gaming sector, the casino REITs. And you're like, I don't understand. Everything was closed. Why would the casinos be one of the top performing sectors during COVID? Think about the Las Vegas Strip. There's a great company that's out there. It's called Vici Gaming. The ticker is V I C I Vici. Well, Vici owns the you know MGM Grand. Bellagio, Mandalay Bay, and Cosmo, and a lot of these properties that are on the Las Vegas Strip. Did you think post-COVID or pre-COVID or anything, did you think the Bellagio was going to be going out of business on the other side of this? Did you think that, you know, Cosmo and again, these MGM Grand was going to go out of business? What happened was those guys were all paying their rent during COVID, even though everything was closed. And so clients, or excuse me, investors we're getting paid dividend income from closed casinos. And so, you know, I think that you have to focus on the bigger picture. Like as another example, going back to my 20, you know, 20 plus year history, when I started back in uh, 2000 on the trading desk, there was no such thing as tower REITs, cell tower REITs. There was no such thing as data center REITs. There was no such thing as cannabis REITs. And so, you know, we've seen all of these new sectors kind of come to life. And I always get questioned, well, what's the next sector that's out there? What's next? And I'm always like, if I knew that answer, I'd be on my G5 on the way to Fiji. I, I don't know. But thinking about how you got to look to where the puck is going, you know, you and I are utilizing right now a cell tower read, a data center read, you know, everything is being uh, happening through this uh, communication channel. And so as a result, that's why some of these stocks, even though everything is kind of trading at a discount right now, why there's still some big winners that are out there because work from home is here to stay. And obviously, we've seen how um, the uh, uh, Zoom life has kind of shifted everything. And so it's the towers that kind of benefit from this runoff of demand. One of the uh, things, I, I belong to an uh, investor group that's a nonprofit thing and you know just a bunch of people belong to it. And I, and I, and I read, they have a, a email thread every day and it's very instructive for somebody like me who's just trying to learn stuff every day. But one of the, one of the knocks on publicly traded REITs are that it's like there, there's volatility that's not necessarily correlated to the real value. And that like the stock market, 
as a whole, it's very much subjected to sentiment, which is effectively emotion, and that there could be just wild swings in it uh, compared to a private REIT, what have you. And so I guess what's your response? And, and I don't have a position on it. I'm really just, it's, it's intended as a question. No, it's, and it's a good point because REITs are typically tied to interest rates. And so, you know, your, your comment is warranted because we're all, every single investor is experiencing something new over the past year. We've all seen interest rates go from zero to 5% in a year's right. time. And so with REITs being interest rate sensitive, you can make that assumption. However, I will tell you that currently REITs are traditionally tied towards the 10-year treasury, the 10-year bond. And looking at my screen right now, I see the 10-year is at 357, 3.57%. Well, we've heard about the 210, I'm sure you've heard about the 210, where it's more attractive to buy two-year debt right now at 4.1% than it is to buy 10-year debt at 3.57%. That should be flipped. It should be 3.57 for the next two years. And then, you know, the further out, the more you get paid. So 4% for 10 years out. But right now, what the market is telling is that it's more attractive to buy near-term paper than it is distant. Throw that out. If you look back during COVID, when the 10-year treasury was trading around 1, 1.5%, this was basically the, the heyday for REIT financing. Because if you were a, a highly investment credit rate, you know, graded company, you know, AAA rated, AA rated, you had an investment grade rating, you were able to go out and raise obscene amounts of capital at basically 0% interest rate. Everything is tied off of LIBOR, SOFR, but using the 10-year treasury, let's say at 1.5%, what you saw a lot of these REITs do were, and again, broad example, I'm going to retire my $500 million of 7% debt due 2024 with $500 million of 3% debt due 2027. So what they were able to do was basically reduce the interest rate and push out the maturity schedule and potentially raise more capital. And so what you're not really, what they're really not telling you again on these business channels, and we've covered on our website, armadaetf.com, we published a few blogs that highlight this, these companies are so well capitalized that they know when to go on offense, they know when to go on defense, and they know how to combat the situations in a rising interest rate environment. But that's why I say focus on the fundamentals. Myself and my clients, excuse me, my constituents, all the stocks in, that make up the REIT industry, we have no control over our stock price. I have zero control over the stock price how we perform, anything like that. Same with the underlying companies. Apple has no control over its stock price. But here's what Apple can control, the business, the business operations. So pick your favorite stock in the back of your head. Don't tell me what it is, but pick your favorite stock. At the end of the day, as a Wall Street investor, regardless of stock price performance, if you're focused on fundamentals, you want the company to do four things, okay? Four things. Number one, grow your revenues, grow your top line. Number two, grow your profits, grow the bottom line. Number three, grow your dividend. And number four, grow your annual guidance, meaning we earned $2 a share last year. We're going to earn $2.50 a share this year. Again, ignoring the stock price, if a company is able to do those four things, 
you would say that the fundamentals pr- remain pretty strong for that company. And by and large, across most of the REIT sectors and most of the companies, that's what we've been seeing in the REIT industry, regardless of rising interest rate environments. But yet, because of the fact that it's an interest rate player tied to interest rates, that's why the stock price performance has been so weak, because we've been on this interest rate roller coaster for the past year. Yeah, boy, we sure have. On the subject of dividends, and you were talking about the notion that you're basically getting cash flow in the form of dividends. I don't know if that's the exact term you use, but that was the gist of it. And you're also getting appreciation as a reason to for, for REITs to make sense. That could also be said of, you know, a dividend paying stock. It's the same. Those are the same fundamentals. So... My understanding on REITs is that they, the companies have to distribute like 90% of their uh, free cash flow a year. And so I guess how does that, and it, is that dis- distributed to the investor in the form of a dividend, it, it, in the form of the amount of the dividend? And you're nodding your head, yes. Okay. So that would be a differentiator. And then, and then I guess the question then attached to that, my question is like, what are the tax ramifications or comparison of, of, um, REITs versus other, you know, publicly traded stocks? You're just paying the, your income taxes, your, your ordinary income tax on the dividend income that you received. You're not double taxed on it. Uh, like you would be again with a gain or a loss type situation. One thing I want to note. Consistently, again, right now we're in a little bit of a different economic environment than previously, but traditionally the REIT dividend yield has always surpassed. Again, I got to be careful. I can't say always. Typically the REIT dividend yield surpasses the 10 year treasury, that proxy. For a while we saw it upside down where the, again, the 10 year is more attractive than the average REIT dividend yield, but now we're seeing REIT dividends become more attractive. Now for those that have a longer risk profile that don't mind, you know, playing the preferreds, the preferred stocks that are out there. They might be a little bit more illiquid. They may not move as much as the common stock does, but you're going to get paid a higher dividend to the tune potentially of anywhere from 100 to 200 plus basis points or more, one to 2% more than what you would find in your traditional dividend yield of that company. Not every REIT has a preferred stock. Just want to throw that out there. But also, some of these REITs pay monthly dividends. There's a great company. It's called Realty Income. Their ticker is the letter O. And the Realty Income, their their nickname is the Monthly Dividend Company. And like they publish a press release every single month. We have raised our dividend for the X thousandth month in a row. You know, and they may only be raising it a fractional of a fractional amount. But every single month, even during COVID, the dividend continues to go up. And so, you know, again, investing with your eyes. Who's paying the rent to these guys? Oh, wow, I can make money off of Starbucks? Okay, that's interesting. And then you just sit back and let the business run itself and you're getting a a monthly dividend check from these guys. How do you determine uh, what companies to buy, uh, number one, and how often are you trading in and out of these positions? So for our, we have a second fund that's in registration right now, so I can't really talk about our second fund, but for our existing fund, our residential re-ETF that we have out there right now, our universe is pretty set. We've only got, you know, is it residential? Is a is it a REIT? Then it's in. So like, just to, I want to explain, we don't have home builders because there is no home builders REIT. Lennar, Toll Brothers, your favorite home builder is not a REIT. We don't have hotels. You know, hotels are REITs. It is lodging. It is occupancy. It is, you know, rental. 
We don't have hotels. We don't have Home Depot or Lowe's, Home Goods, Home Supply Stores. We don't have mortgage REITs. We have nothing like that. We basically are just focus, focusing on the rental landlord players that are out there. So for us, we have a lot of stuff that we use, top down, bottom up, boots on the ground, our collective wisdom. But it's our goal to really position the portfolio to maximize the dividend. So as I mentioned that, our bias right now is going towards Sunbelt, you know, Atlanta, Nashville, Charlotte, Texas, Denver, again, stuff inside the coasts, single family rentals, you know, those sectors that are seeing the consistent growth, where that puck is going. We're coming up, we're in earnings season right now where several of our large constituents have basically told you where the renters are at, what the numbers are that they're seeing. And the answer is the rent is going up. We may be seeing national signs of year to year, you know, year over year decline, sequential declines. But in some of these desirable markets where people are relocating, the rents are not going down. There is still a rent battle that's out there. Interesting. Is that in, in terms of your identifying rental property, like mobile home parks, single family homes, multifamily, senior? Why do you identify those assets specifically, asset classes, as opposed to anything else? So the founder of our issuer uh, is a um, property manager himself. He's an owner-operative apartments up and down the East Coast. This entity came together during COVID. We started this whole process during COVID to bring the fund together. And what happened when, our, when we first started talking, he had told me that he went to his college roommate who happened to be an ultra high net worth advisor to the stars in LA and he only manages portfolios of ETFs. And he's like, look, I want to sell my whole portfolio and I just want to buy a pure play residential REIT ETF. I do business with these companies. I know what their companies are worth. I know this industry backwards and forwards. That's where I want to put my money. At the time, this product did not exist. The various other residential real estate funds that are out there all have some kind of what I call rub to it. One fund brings a lot of storage names into it. Self-storage is a great complement to the residential space, but it is not residential. One of my buddy's competitors has Home Depot, Lowe's, some of these home builders that are in his fund. Another one leads with two of the largest healthcare names that are out there that are also in our portfolio, uh, just to be uh, fully clear. But the stuff that they own are kind of considered non-residential, like medical office. You know, the, the two largest senior housing operators that own the most beds in the country also own a ton of hospitals, the medical office and stuff that would not be considered residential. So again, it goes back to what's under the hood of the car. And one more point, there's an active versus passive debate. And the only reason why I mentioned the active versus passive if you're sitting on one of these broad-based real estate ETFs that's out there, like VNQ or IYR is the example, they're the two largest REIT ETFs that are on the market. If you use COVID as the example, what sectors did you not want to be invested in during COVID? Offices, hotels, malls, the stuff where, you know, again, was traffic driven. Well, when the ETF came up for its quarter, or excuse me, its semi-annual rebalance, guess what you were still invested in, even though you didn't want to be invested in it? you were still holding offices, hotels, and malls. For us, because we're focused on residential and we're active, I don't have to wait for a semi-annual rebalance to adjust my portfolio. If I like some of the earnings results that come out from my guys and there's a, you know, um, a true reason for us to change our thesis, we could put the order in today and readjust our weightings because of a narrative shift 
that we're hearing from our underlying constituents. We're not having to wait for the clock to tell us when to make our trade. We can be what I call proactive. What I mentioned by that is we're in first quarter earnings season right now. So, hey, here's what our January, February, and March numbers did. Our April numbers are showing that fill in the blank. We see looking forward, fill in the blank. That's where we start to get involved. What do you see? Because we want to position that portfolio accordingly so that when second quarter earnings season rolls around, they could say, well, we told you that this is what was happening and here's what transpired. And we see this happening in the third quarter and we're already we're already going there. We're already there. Again, where is that puck going? What's the next Charlotte? What's the next Austin? Is it going to be Eagle River, Wisconsin? I sure hope so. But you know what I mean? Like, where is that Where is that next boom going to be? Because chances are, our, our REITs are already going to be there. They already know where it is. And when that time comes that they plant that flag there, we're already with them right there along for that ride. Very eloquently put, and you're animated and excited. And um, this has been uh, illuminating for me. I'm going to switch gears and ask you about your company and, and how how do people um, interact with you and find you? Do they basically just, um, because you're publicly listed or maybe you're not, I have no idea how this stuff works. How do people find you and decide to invest with you? And and do you have like, do you have like um, investor relations people that I talk to or is it just simply automated and people are putting money in and taking it out and like a, like a publicly traded stock? How does all, all that work? I am the investor relations, so I'm here to answer any questions that anybody has. You can find us at Armada ETFs, Armada ETFs.com. You could sign up for our, um, what we call our HubSpot, but that basically gets our research directly in your inbox. And we're publishing content on a regular basis. We have blogs, video interviews with some of our CEO constituents. We're trying to basically build a research portal to educate all investors about the why of REIT investing. Uh, you can email me at dauerback at armadaetfs.com. I also publish a daily newsletter that covers the REIT industry. It pulls every single relevant REIT industry headline, news story, ratings change, news article, news publication, you know, if it's out there. Because I try to level the playing field for all investors. It doesn't matter if you're the smartest real estate guy in the room or you're a high school student with 25 bucks in your pocket and your dad happens to be a leasing agent for you know, UDR, but yet you've grown up in the industry, why should somebody have more information than the guy down the street? If a stock got upgraded by um, Citigroup this morning at 8 o'clock in the morning, all investors should know that Citigroup upgraded the stock this morning. So I'm just trying to bring the news to the investors. And that way, again, learn. It's a learning process. If you understand what these companies do, then I don't have to sell you my fund because you understand, again, the whole investing with your eyes. Here's a good example. We talk about residential real estate, residential rental income. If you go back to 2000, we've gone through multiple housing crises, economic collapse, 9-11, COVID, all these fun things that have been happening out there. Did you know that the national apartment occupancy has still really never waned below 90%? Call it 92% has been the average apartment occupancy. That's including public and private and the stuff that's basically held by mom and pop. The reason why I mention that is that apartments are basically full. If an apartment reports a 95, 96% occupancy rate, that means they've only got a couple of units that are coming up for rent every single month. You're not talking about a property that's sitting on hundreds of empty units. And so these guys know how to maximize that rental income 
because they know what their property is worth, what the property down the street is worth, what the new property a mile away is from worth. And it doesn't matter if it's residential, office, retail, pretty much everybody knows what's happening that's out there. But the average investor doesn't understand that. And so it's our job to educate and tell you, you know, like, here's a great example. Another company that I, there's two government REITs that really aren't government REITs, but I classify them that way. You know, um, if you buy a treasury bond, the government pays you interest income on that bond, right? Did you know that there was kind of a, a hybrid government REIT? There's an office REIT that um, they lease exclusively to government agencies like the FBI the TSA, Department of Veterans Affairs Hospitals, any government agency, pretty much this is their landlord. And the company is called Easterly Government Properties. The ticker is DEA, like Drug Enforcement Agency. So if you think about it, if you think that the FBI is going to start closing field offices anytime soon, or we're about to start closing TSA locations, which I can tell you we're not, you know, this is a, the way that the government is paying you that dividend that's being passed through by the REITs. But you catch my drift. Like, again, these government agencies are the ones that are paying the dividend. Separately, there's an office REIT that's called Postal Realty Trust, PSTL. And Postal, Postal Realty owns post offices, both big city, small city, like I think Eagle River. Plus, they also own industrial properties that are at the airport, because a lot of these industrial properties at the airport, it's like a mail processing facility where they can then put it on the truck and it goes to the next place. So Postal kind of views themselves as an industrial REIT, even though it's more of the post office and office REIT. But until we start closing postal locations, you know, some of these post offices in some of these small towns, it's how they, you know, stay connected to the rest of the country, frankly. And so, you know, this is just another unique angle of a REIT that you don't really think about on a day-to-day basis, but yet we're interacting with these types of properties all the time. On your website, and if I'm getting into into an area that that you don't want to go, you don't want to dwell into, and I don't know what's public and what isn't, so feel free to deflect, is I saw somewhere uh, $4 million asset under management. And I guess... I'm trying to get to the, you know, just the general scope of, you know, how much investor money are you, are you dealing with? How many clients, all that kind of stuff. And are people, do people come to you through RIAs? However, you feel comfortable asking the general question just no, directionally. I, I won't, I won't shy away from everything. That's, that's fully our holdings, our AUM, all this stuff. We're fully transparent. That's out there for everybody to see. We want you to understand what our portfolio is. And yeah, we only have four million bucks, four and a half million bucks under management. I wish it was 50 million, but we're not there yet. And so, you know, yes, we are on our website. You'll see that you could trade us on E-Trade, Fidelity, Schwab, Robinhood, all your, you know, various stock trading platforms. We are not on what we call the wirehouse platforms, you know, your UBS, Wells Fargo, Morgan Stanley. If you're an independent advisor, you could probably transact in us. If you work for one of the big wirehouses, you know, we are not on those platforms yet. Uh, obviously happy to have that conversation. You know, we are looking for, we are looking for that champion, somebody that loves what we're trying to do and, you know, would like to hopefully write that big check for us and help us get closer to, you know, making it, let's say. We're always happy to have that discussion. Again, my job is to educate about the whys of REIT investing, uh, especially looking at our world of residential right now, plus some other sectors here very soon. Uh, at the end of the day, though, from where I sit, though, 
The dividend keeps going up. Our dividends increasing. Um, our clients, our constituents have been raising their dividends as well. So again, ignoring stock price performance, ignoring how much AUM that we have under our management, we're focused on the fundamentals. And from where we sit right now in the world of residential REITs, fundamentals are pretty solid. How many, roughly how many uh, investors do you have? You know, honestly, I, I, it's hard to answer that question because I think there's a lot of retail guys that are in this, you know, and so... You know, looking at my times in sales right now, just on the tape here, I see a lot of five shares, two shares, 14 shares, one share. You know, there's days that we'll trade 15, 20,000 shares. There's days we trade a couple of hundred shares. So I right now, it. this is really geared towards the independent RIA channel, the retail audience. I'm obviously very happy to chat about with institutional guys. If there's, you know, again, somebody that's looking for a way to diversify the real estate exposure. But this is this is more of these, you know, hand hand to hand battle conversations. Hand to hand battle conversation. I I would end by asking how to get a hold of you, but you've already answered the question, so I'm not going to ask that. Um, D hour back at armadaetfs.com. Got it. Okay, and also uh, on Twitter, we we have a big Twitter profile at armadaetfs. I'm daily read beat. If you want to see my daily read headlines, we're also very big on LinkedIn. You can find our stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, we also are on Seeking Alpha. We have a, you know, again, our uh, we do publish on Seeking Alpha for those that are looking for content as well. Again, we're trying to promote education. Uh, we're always out there talking REITs. We've got a ton of media. Uh, check out our website. Again, ton of blogs that are out there, ton of videos. And if anybody has any questions, reach, reach out to me. Because again, I want to make, you know, investing in the world of REITs a little bit easier for everybody. When you get that, when you have that, what I call that aha moment, then our job just got a whole lot easier because you get it. Got it. I am uh, eternally grateful for this conversation. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. I am confident my listeners have learned a lot. And uh, with that, I conclude. And and I would say I would love to do this again with you in you know nine months, twelve months, uh, God willing, uh, do it again. Sign me up. I'm ready. Thank you so much, Roger. I really appreciate it. Good to talk to you, David. Good meeting you. Thank you. Nice meeting you. You too. <laughs>